The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online master's of social work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. Podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most. Because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that I got a of alien beings landed on this earth, how would we communicate? While we realistically can't assume they'd be equal to us in intelligence given their demonstrated ability to travel from outside of our bounds, yet if somehow, by some miracle, they were equal in intelligence, it is safe to say they'd feel equally compelled to speak with us. After all, curiosity is the primary motivation of travel. Curiosity is common ground in that common ground of the mind We have math, and from that measure, and from that music. What would alien music sound like? One could argue that today's guest knows the feeling of being an alien, far from home, and somewhat unable to communicate. Or maybe not, thanks to the help of his trusty guide. Musician, lighthouse of positivity, and host of the Expanding Reality Podcast, Brandon Thomas, is here to share his insights and wisdom with me, Mystic Mark. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast with Brandon Thomas. China was unbelievable. We're doing our thing. The first band is up. The first band was so cool. And they were playing like these really cool folk covers and, you know, American songs. So it was awesome. And we're in this environment. There's a bunch of fucking people there. And all of a sudden, I look up and the sound engineer jumps down from behind the um, sound booth pushes through the crowd furiously, runs up on stage, and karate kicks the guitar player's guitar in half with him holding it. I was like, what the fuck? It just didn't sit right, so I bailed on the gig. I was fucking fired up. It was a full moon in Kunming. The weather was beautiful. We had all these people. And so we go to another place down the street. It was just uh, pretty, you know, China, everything's like far. So you just walk. 
And so we went down the street, we go to this place, and it was an awesome bar. It was like you'd see in a movie, like with all the circle cutouts and the th- different levels, and it was like a like a cool pirate's treehouse or something. It was really Yakuza, and it was just a bar. But I was like, Wufong just hang out with the girls, and he had no problem with that. They took us down this really narrow stair- stairwell to, the, to this basement, okay? In this basement, there was a huge circular bank safe, like you think of in the fucking movies, dude. The bank safe opens up. We go into this thing. There's a huge table in there. Guys sitting behind it. We sit down. Dude's in the corners uh, and armed, you know. And so uh, I was like, hey, do you mind if we play here? And so through the translator, we figured out it, if he let us play there, it would cause a lot of problems. And to find out, this is where the Chinese mafia was hanging out. when you said that because I'm like (laughs) crazy stuff I got a lot of crazy stuff but maybe we should start with you what's the first crazy idea crazy concept crazy conspiracy even that you learned that made you feel crazy or maybe even you told it to somebody and they thought you were crazy can that do you remember Uh, yeah the uh, the zeitgeist information on the bible was one that was like my first thing into all of this stuff. I mean, there were the, you know, the psychedelic experience, which that's mind blowing, but the one about the Jesus being an allegory. And that was my first introduction into astrotheology. And they didn't call it that, but that's what it is. And uh, that just blew my mind about how it was way more symbolic and, um, yeah, than, than real. And I mean, I, I had that, you know, suspicion that it wasn't real, real, but I grew up in the church and all of that. And so whenever you hear it like that for the first time, and I'd already been introduced to uh, Neil Donald Walsh's Conversations with God, so I'd already kind of been down the unity consciousness train, and I was very excited about that idea. That actually resonated the most with me, over there being nothing at all, or any particular religion having it 100% right, right? So that's kind of where I found myself with that. So really that, it was it was the unraveling of religion for me that was really interesting, because I felt it, but it was confirmation, you know, for me. Again, I'm, it resonates with a ton of people, it just does not with me. For people who don't know your backstory, Welcome to the show, brother. We're rolling in. I just gave you a proper, proper intro. The folks already are familiar with who you are, what you do. But they may not be familiar with the fact that you're from Texas, born and raised. And I've never been there. But from what I've gathered culturally, it seems like a place where fundamentalist views have taken root. You know, Christian specifically, I don't think it's limited to that. I'm sure there's a diverse amount of people in Texas, but it does feel like there's a sort of fundamentalism going on. Was this a part of like, would you say that this was kind of like a, you know, because when you say conversations with God and unity consciousness, where I'm from, that's very, I mean, we have the Unitarian church that's been around for 300 years. I mean, this is, you know, it's, it's very, seems commonplace where I'm from, but when you get out there, it feels at least from my perspective, never being there, like it, it can be almost tribal. And I don't hate to use that word tribal, but it, it kind of feels like people get really, you know, communal, like they have their community, their religion is, is you know, part of their community. And very rarely do they maybe venture outside of those structures. Yeah, this is the Bible Belt, a big part of it. And there's a gang of cognitive dissonance just running around and running rampant. And 
that is uh, usually where you find yourself. And so to break out of that or to choose something different or to be enlightened to information that resonates with me more is very out of the norm, especially, I guess, in this part of the country, in these here parts. There's was not it really like, one. Was it like, you know, like like in the Western movies when the when like the evil cowboy walks in the room and everybody looks over their shoulder? Like, did you have that feeling like when you started to learn this stuff? Like, oh, geez, like I'm I'm, I'm already kind of like. You know, because I can, I could, I get the feeling like you say the wrong thing, you could very easily be exiled from a small community like that, or, or at least shunned. I mean, maybe they can't force you out, but you're you're absolutely right. And we kind of moved. So when I was born and raised in a town called Keller, Texas, now it's huge now, like it's a big school. But when I lived there, there was nothing out there. And then we moved around a little bit and then moved to Houston. So I got two very different experiences as far as being, you know, raised that time of my life. And so even in those two years, my junior and senior year in high school, when we moved to Houston was a massive shock for me. I think my, you know, something like my graduating class was something stupid, like 65 100 people, something like that. Anyway, in Keller, it would have been. But then in Houston, it was like a thousand something. So things are crazy. But that culturally really changed my direction as far as the like young intuitiveness and worrying about what other people thought. I've always kind of been able just to sell silly. You know, I've always just been super fun. I don't I don't like take this place seriously, but I know shit, you know, and I get my stuff done. I'm a hard worker, all that good stuff. So I kind of blend in between the two where I'm like, you know, it's crazy. You know, have you ever thought about like that? We're all one. And somebody's like, yeah, but Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I get it. And so also this, I guess, enlightenment has come with a bit of discernment. You know, I kind of know, you know, you know, your audience. Right. And so I've really honestly didn't talk to most people about it. I just kind of explored it on my own. I'd come across a little community here and there in my travels because I moved out and moved around and been all over. And then I, I just kind of, you know, fit it in anyway. You know, it's just like I said, just like making a silly joke or something. It wasn't taken seriously. Like I wasn't altering paradigms or anything, but I also wasn't ridiculed for thinking the way that I did for the most part. And that's a skill set that I think a lot of us, especially folks that maybe gravitate to the title of my show, should begin to cultivate, you know, that skill set of discernment and also humor, being able to take things lightly. And, and even though these subjects may have a very, very serious tone, they have an equally light tone. And uh, yeah, man, I mean, I hate to paint the picture that you're some like, you know, Texas guy who's never left because like you said, you have no, uh, made your way and traveled around. So is there something to this like energy, this pride that people have? Because, you know, venturing out of there, seeing what other places are like, you made it back to Texas. You didn't leave for good. Or, right. you know, what, what did you, what did you see? Where'd you go? Are you like a world traveler? You make your way up my part of the, the country. You go to Canada, Mexico, where'd you go? I actually, yes, all the above. Uh, so I lived, have lived in Texas, had a Texas residency my entire life, but I've traveled quite a bit. I was a touring musician for 12 years. I had the opportunity to go to China for a month. So I flew into Canada, but also I've been to Canada a few times. And then over to China for a month. So that was amazing. That was an incredible opportunity. Super, super scary, but one of the biggest growth experiences I've ever had in my life. And then when I got back, uh, of course, you know, the roads, you know, it's an itch you can't scratch, you know, when you're in that mode. And uh, tour is just such a different thing, just spiritually, mentally, everything. You're just... Uh, a different individual living in a different reality. And so I undertook a West Coast tour here in the States. And I had, I don't remember how many states, but it was a bunch. And it was like a month and a half, two months long, something like that. 
That was a lot of fun. And then I've been up the West Coast. So yes, I have been not not all the way up to you. I think New York was the furthest that we made it. And we just went like to the northern part. Like I haven't been to Manhattan. I just went to the upstate and then left like for a wedding. And then we drove back down like the Carolinas and all that good stuff. But Never yeah, been so, to New York City once? No. No desire, really. To be honest with you. I mean, I'd check it out to check it out. But I, I've, like I said, I've been everywhere. or I've been a lot of places. And so, uh, yeah, Texas is just something else, man. It's just something different. And I have been to a lot of places where people, yeah, they care about the place that they live, but it's not like Texas. Texas just has a different heartbeat to it. And I know that we get this stigma of just like a bunch of shit kickers and, you know, all that kind of stuff, but we're not. Now I live on a, you know, 12 acre ranch. Don't hold that against me. Not all of us have that. This is a very unique uh, thing out here. Most of my friends and people that I know we're used to associate with live in, live in the city. And so do we, we just chose to move out here. So uh, Texas definitely has culture to it, but it's warm, man. It's inviting. All that stereotypical, I mean, you're going to have these, you know, people who aren't the best representatives for anywhere that they're at. And we all have those. But for the most part, man, it's just good-hearted people give you the shirt off their back. We just think differently. You know, we uh, move at a different pace. I mean, Dallas even is totally different than Fort Worth. So I'm more on the Fort Worth side of things. We're west of Fort Worth. And Dallas is a super big metropolitan, you know, crazy. See, we don't like Dallas at all. The same thing with Houston. Like, I like the people, but not the infrastructure and the environment. Right. But Fort Worth is a lot more laid back. That's where I was born and raised. It's Fort Worth, Texas. And I've, yeah, been all of those places, lived in Houston, lived, you know, a few different places in Texas and came back. Yeah, came back to North Texas to actually take care of my grandmother towards the end of her life when she got Alzheimer's and then by staying here, that's where I met my wife, and then we moved out here. So, yeah, it's awesome. Love Texas, man. Love it. Right on. And, yeah, it, it's it's worth focusing in on. And I know this might not be your particular forte. Maybe it is, and I just don't realize it. But Texas history fascinates me. I just had on a really amazing guest, Robert Sullivan the Fourth. He's a Freemason and author and... In his book, The Royal Arch of Enoch, he talks about the Freemasonic symbolism of the Lone Star State and how, you know, it was a Masonic Republic. It was set up as its own country even until it was eventually uh, brought into the United States, which also is a Masonic Republic. But yeah, it's it's got a, a very unique history compared to most states. I mean, where I'm from used to be a colony, but we weren't really independent. We were part of... England. So it's kind of a unique situation to be in. And I think that adds a lot of credit to the pride that's clearly present with anyone who lives, moves to, or, you know, is in Texas. <laughs> yeah. We'll have people move here and we say, um, don't say you moved here. Say that um, you're, you weren't born here, but you got here as fast as you could. It's just a little, <laughs> a little joke that we have. But uh, yeah, we're open arm, man. I mean, really, they've taken, you know, they have taken over Austin and Austin, you know, I used to, like I said, be a musician. So I played South by Southwest a couple of years and 10, 12 years ago, man, Austin was the shit. And even people, though, 10 years, 12 years before that would say it went down, down to hell. But now it's just, I've got two brothers that live out there. I really, we really don't, don't go there much at all. It's just not, it doesn't feel like Texas. Texas is different. So if you look at if you watch a show like King of the Hill, actually, so King of the Hill was uh, fictionally set in Arlen, Texas, but it's actually Garland, Texas, which is kind of over by, it's a suburb of Dallas. And that type of folk, I will say this, so like the characters that they have on there, 
that's that's what a lot of people in Texas are like. They're they're very much like that. Like they really nailed it with the style, with the accents, with the draw, with the preoccupations, the things that they think about and focus on. You know, he did a great job on that show for that reason. So if you ever really want to get a true taste of Texas, we're not like the commercials and shit. King of the Hills is probably one of the most accurate. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You won't hear that at the Welcome Center, I'm sure. Right. (laughs) Well, making a transition from the Texas topic, you're talking about being a musician that's a, a transition that's pretty seamless in the podcasting. Seems like you would have had, you know, most of the equipment already. But were you discussing these topics? Were you interested, fascinated in these subjects that you cover on Expanding Reality when you were in a band? And please do tell us. I mean, what was your what was your position in the band? Were you lead singer, drummer, guitarist? What was your what was your role and what kind of music did you guys play? Yeah. So I've been interested in this since, yeah, about that. So I picked my uh, first guitar up when I was 15, 16, something like that. And uh, no amp. It was just a crappy little electric guitar. And like I said, no amp. And I didn't know anything about it. And so I just taught myself how to play. And the way that I taught myself how to play was I uh, played by ear. And so I don't read a lick of music to this day. My music has taken me around the world. And I do not read music. And so, but what I did was I had to hide my radio in my in my closet so my mom didn't hear what I was listening to. Because again, very Christian upbringing. And then I would hear like, nothing else matters by Metallica on the radio. This dates me, right? It was not on the classic rock station at that time, by the way. And so I would run into my you know closet real quick, grab my little electric guitar, probably barely tuned, and then a no amp, and then just figure it out. So the speed at which I was able to pick up music was really cool because I did, couldn't record it. I couldn't have a recording of it. My shot at figuring this song out that I wanted to learn really bad occurred in the time it took to play it on the radio. And that was it. And then if I missed it or if I still needed to get the solo just right or something like that, I'd have to just wait until it came on the next time. And I, you know, serendipitously was in my room and all that good stuff. So anyway, that's how I learned how to play the guitar. And so from that, though, you know, I was in cover bands in high school and then you move on to get you know, do other things. But I was brought to the psychedelics world, uh, conspiracies and spirituality all at the age of 18 in 2001. And so I'd been playing guitar a little bit before that, but it it altered whenever I really started altering my perception. And then the music I wrote, because I started writing music at that time, then really changed after that. And so that's when I, like I said, started writing music. You move out, you move around, you always have your guitar with you and you just attract the type of people that play music as well. So I was in several bands, man. It wasn't just one, you know, and I was usually lead guitar or at least guitar, most of the time lead and rhythm guitar and then lead vocals as well. And so we were, there was this awesome band I was in in Houston called Perpetual Motion Theory, PM Theory. We won like this huge battle of the bands and all this good stuff. And it was like a three guitar band. It was like a rock band, a more progressive rock band. And we wrote all of our own music and all that good stuff. And I played guitar and sang. My buddy, Played guitar and sang, and then we had a seven-string guitar player that screamed. So it was kind of this triad of, you know, awesome melt-your-face-off type sounds. And then I went straight from that to writing acoustic music and doing my own thing, just Brandon Thomas Band. That attracted a bunch of great musicians, and kind of my rule for my band was just, you've got to be better than me. So that was the thing. I just always uh, surrounded myself with people way better than me musically. And again, I attracted a lot of great people that way. And then, of course, I only had like one rule. It's like have fun, stay in key. And so I didn't have to micromanage anyone either. I like wrote the song and the song was there and ready to go. And then I just let them be them on it. And they were all incredible. Like three of the people I played with went to Juilliard um, or Berkeley, rather. Another dude's like... 
grandfather invented the kick drum pedal, something crazy like that. Several people just very high accolades musically. We played a VH1 Save the Music show. We did, you know, a few different things, and that was really, really cool. And then I went from there to, again, back to solo guitar. And then I think somewhere in between all that, I went to China. Somewhere in between all that also, I was lead guitar player for a country band for a minute. I've also played hand drums, like percussion for other bands and stuff like that. So you just kind of bounce around and that's the best way to do it because you don't get inner influence by anything. You just are always kind of in flux with it. So after that, it really, honestly, man, and then I, you know, played a little bit, moved up here to take care of my grandmother still, you know, put it way on the back burner though. So I canceled my second tour of China to move up here to take care of her. So I had a, a second tour of China. It was going to be huge, like two months long and way bigger and all this good stuff. And I thought the first one was awesome. And she just called one day, my grandmother, and just said she lived by herself. Like, nobody really talked to her in the family. I did, but nobody else did. They all thought she was crazy. I thought she was wonderful. So anytime I played up here or something like that, I'd just come stay. And I called her like three or four times a week. Anyway, she just called one day. and was just like, hey, I don't know what's going on. I'm dizzy all the time. I don't. I just need help. I can't do this anymore. I said, say no more. Threw everything I had in my truck with my two dogs and canceled the tour and then drove up here. And I put the guitar down for nine years, something like that. Finally dusted it off a couple years back and played a couple of open mics in town. Had a great time. Scratch the itch, as we say. And that's that's where it's been sitting. So that's it, man. That's the music career. But it was awesome. I had, like, label offers and, you know, got to meet a bunch of great people. And, like, Beyonce's dad was at our New Year's Eve show or something like that. Anyway, it was really cool. I, lo- I love that you shared that with us, first of all. I love the, the, the similarity and the parallel between perpetual motion theory and expanding reality. I don't know if that was intentional, but I thought that was cool. It was not, but I like it. <laughs> and then also, you know, the fact that your family thought you were crazy for loving the music that you loved. Oh, I mean, that's something that I always ask about on this show. And rarely do we hear an explanation like that. And, and I think, you know, without even intending... To answer that question, you kind of did, because I can imagine you, 16-year-old Brandon, sneaking into your your room. You're like, don't worry, Mom, I'm playing Elvis, I swear, you know? And meanwhile, you're slapping away to Metallica. I mean, that's sick. I'll bring all of it. Wow. Yep. So, China, you said the first tour was awesome. The second tour was even better. What was the the interest? Was it the genre? Is that really popular in China? Like, and and because I'm just amazed that an American band would would be that successful enough to pull off a tour. I don't doubt it. I just hadn't conceived it. And also, what time period was this? Like, was this maybe like ten years ago? You said five years ago, or no, no, no. Oh, I'm just... sorry, ten years ago. Because you said it's been like almost fifteen years since you. Right? I'm getting all mixed That's up. That's okay. There's a lot of dates in there, dude. I know. I moved, I talked back. It's uh, so 2008, I believe, is when I had my China tour. And I just went by myself, like just solo acoustic guy. I got oh, wow. hooked up. Well, I got approached by a promoter over there that brought American bands over to tour China in this way. And he was just some independent Chinese kid, really, a uh, young guy. And, and he just like would connect people with this. And now I'm, I knew a guy, I knew a bass player that played with me every now and then because I just had rotating musicians, man, cello players keyboardist saxophones i mean every like it was such a cool band and we were like a jam part jam band part whatever it was so cool anyway so he was one of the bass players that came in and he went to china with another band that he played with and so when he got back he gave my info to that guy that guy reached out we set up a tour now the first tour was unbelievable but i like i said just was a solo acoustic guy at this time and so i just went just me and so it was my guitar and like two suitcases and that was it and that's that's what i did and that china was crazy crazy amazing but 
crazy. One of the biggest, like I said, growth experiences I've ever had in my life was that one month period that I went to China. I was trying to answer the second part of your question. Well, the, the, yes. like the reception there, cause I mean, you explained it a little oh. bit, but like, oh, yeah. Was... yeah, I mean, it seems, especially in the political atmosphere today, that China is like a very closed culture, but I will probably make an exception in the fact that they're very musically oriented and like to a high, high level. I mean, some of the most mathematical people come from China and, you know, I think Shakespeare said it, mathematics plus space is a geometry and mathematics plus time is music. So there's definitely something to that on a deep, deep intellectual level. So I don't doubt music and the, the flourishing of it in China, but also that suppression from the government. I mean, did you see some kind of interesting atmosphere there? What was that like? Dude, China, we could do a whole two, three show series on my China stories alone, but I'll give you kind of the cool parts, okay? So China was unbelievable. First and foremost, the Chinese people, unbelievable people, absolutely amazing, the warmest, sweetest, kindest, funniest, funniest fucking people I've ever met in my life. I've never met a group of people that are just funny all across the board, and they were warm. They were unbelievable. Unbelie I can't say enough about the Chinese people. Now, just like probably people, whenever they talk about America, they're talking about our government. The CCP is very different than the Chinese people and do not represent those people. They, those people are captives of their government. And that's kind of the best way to look at it. Now, the like I said, people were incredible. Uh, there was one time I was met with, when I met the Chinese mafia, that was interesting, but that was not the government at all. That was that was totally different. That was a different thing. Was this that's like some kind of like yeah, underground, yeah. like Shanghai <laughs> club yeah. that you're performing at and the Chinese mafia, the Yakuza? No, maybe that's true. Japan. Uh, yeah, Japan. The the Chinese mafia comes and gets you. Tell me about that. Let's talk Dude, about so, that. So yeah. So the the Chinese mafia story was awesome. Okay. So I'm in fuck, what city was it? I want to say it's Kunming. Yes, it was Kunming. Because I met other people there. So this is more the southern part of China, which by the way, geographically, the southern part of China, absolutely gorgeous. Beijing was intense, um, but, but the southern part, absolutely gorgeous. So Kunming is where we were. And I was playing at a place called The Speakeasy, okay? Now, what was really cool about this place, and I still have a couple of them, is there were these huge banners and posters of, like, my album cover, right? And so they were, like, all over and, like, billboards and shit. I'm like, what the fuck? But it was China. They just do stuff like this to for people. And it was mind-blowing. It was crap. I was like a 26-year-old idiot, you know, and it was just mind-blowing. So anyway, um, there's this huge poster outside, and it was downstairs. So this was a downstairs bar that you go in, and it was massive. So my guide, uh, Wu Feng, and I were sitting at the table he also bought prostitutes constantly now wufong every city that we went to wufong is a brother from another mother i he he doesn't so he, i was told that i was getting an english-speaking guide i was told a lot of things none of which happened by the way but i got actually better than any of it any of it it was disappointing at the time but of course just magical now but uh wufong uh, didn't speak a lick of english i guess he knew every word to every bob marley song and that's where we connected really when he picked me up from the airport he opened a cigarette pack that had a little joint in it and he looked at me and i was like oh my god yes thank you and i was just on like a 37 hour trip it was to get there it was insane so anyway, we really connected. So we're downstairs in this bar. He always bought prostitutes everywhere we went. He knew I was not going to take them up on their services, just for a lot of reasons, right? But in, and he told me a rumor that in China, I don't know if it's a rumor because several people confirmed it, that if you tell a prostitute it's your first time and you're a virgin, and they can tell, 
then they gave it to you for free, which I thought was very sweet of the culture. But again, great people, right? So, but these girls then were with us and like we hung out. He usually partook in both. Like I said, I never, he always got to knowing I wouldn't, but he still got to because I knew he wanted to and whatever. Anyway, we're down there. We're making, they're making origami out of the cigarette cellophanes. And the cigarettes over there are amazing. I, as a heavy smoker back then, I tried all the Chinese cigarettes. They were great. But they had the cigarette cellophane and they were making origami out of it. And I wish I knew I was talking about China. I've still got it. And so we're sitting there and we're doing our thing. The first band is up. The first band consisted of a 60-year-old guy named John uh, from Hawaii. He was a retired teacher that moved there from Hawaii, guitar and singer, another guitar player from England, another guitar, the bass player was from Germany, and then a Chinese drummer. It was so cool. And they were playing like these really cool folk covers and, you know, American songs. So it was awesome. And we're in this environment. There's a bunch of fucking people there. And all of a sudden... um, I look up and the sound engineer jumps down from behind the sound booth, pushes through the crowd furiously, runs up on stage and karate kicks the guitar player's guitar in half with him holding it. And I was like, what the fuck? And the place erupted. I mean, erupted. So come to find out the guitar player was just asking for more uh, vocals in the monitor. That was it. And he got tired of it, and he ran up and just karate kicked his guitar in half with him holding it, threw him back into his speakers, everything fell over. It was insane. So then I was like, well, you know, I'm the headliner here, you know, and so I've I've only got one guitar with me. And sometimes, you know, monitors need to be adjusted if I need that to happen. Is my tool to go around this country going to be taken away from me, right? Plus the principle of the thing, you don't really have staff go up and karate kick your instruments in half with your talent holding them you know what I mean it just didn't sit right so I bailed on the gig I just said look you can have the money back whatever they refunded everyone their tickets but now I had a huge crowd of people that wanted to hear me play that walked out with me also like everybody left this place including the band that was playing and all that so we're like well what do we do you know like I I still want to play like I was fucking fired up it was a full moon in Kunming the weather was beautiful we had all these people and so we go to another place down the street it was just uh pretty you know China, everything's like far. So you just walk. And so we went down the street, we go to this place and it was an awesome bar. It was like you'd see in a movie, like with all the circle cutouts and the th- different levels. And it was like a, like a cool pirate's treehouse or something. It was really Yakuza. It was real like that. And it was just a bar. And so, but come to find out, this is where the Chinese mafia was hanging out. That was their place. So we asked the people there, I said, Hey, do you mind if we play here? And they, you know, I had a translator, of course, somebody that did speak English, not my guide, by the way. I couldn't rely on him to get the message right. So I found people that could and then told them. So they they said, just one moment. So somebody came and got me and that person, not my guide. I was like, Wu Fong, just hang out with the girls. And he had no problem with that. They took us down this really narrow stair stairwell to the to this basement. OK, in this basement, there was a huge circular bank safe like you think of in the fucking movies, dude. The bank safe opens up. We go into this thing. There's a huge table in there. Guy sitting behind it. We sit down. Dude's in the corners and armed, you know. And so I was like, okay. And so through the translator, we figured out that the bar down the street was actually the cousin of one of the members of the of the organization, okay. And it if he let us play there, it would cause a lot of problems. And that dude is an issue. He's actually the cousin, right? So he's just got all sorts of like drug problems or nephew or whatever. Drug problems if somebody's part of the family. So they'd let him run this bar and just let him do whatever he wants. But 
they've had a lot of problems with them. So I don't know what happened to the guy, but they were not happy about this because an American came over to play there. I was promised a spot, whatever. And so it ended up just, they were very apologetic, but they did give us some liquor to take. And so that, you know, so we went across the street, down the road to this park, to this gazebo. And it was this, all these people just laid out, hanging out in this thing. They, you know, people just had candles. So they lit candles. Uh, friend, I've got a guy who is named Dave. We send each other those pictures all the time from that night because he was there. And he lives in China. He's just a real cool dude. So it, it was just unbelievable. And we played. Uh, that was the night I got introduced to Bajo. And Bajo is a liquor. And it's basically like Chinese moonshine. And so they hand it to this Texan. I was fired up for the evening, you know, and I just take this bottle and I bubble, 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 and then I hand it back. And the look on everybody's faces was just, they were white. They were just like, oh shit, well, we know what you're going to be doing. Played one of the best sets I've ever played my entire life. Everyone had a blast. And that's the night I met the Chinese Mafia. Wow. Wow. Bajo. (laughs) Bajo. I don't remember much after that. Wow. And and was that like a... You know, was that like a stereotype you played into? Like, were you like, let me show you what Texas is like? Was that a part of it? Be honest. Uh, Oh, no, I will be absolutely honest. And yes, there is something about people knowing you're from Texas and offering you something of their culture indigenous to the place that only the locals do and then seeing if you'll partake in it or not. Uh, I have always taken people up on this. There was another time, especially in China, several times. Like it happened all the time with foods, with all all kinds. Of, I ate the weirdest shit over there. Uh, some of it I will never touch again, but some of it was absolutely amazing. But all like some of it on a dare. Like they would order it, but it's not something you order. Like everyone was laughing at the table and I couldn't figure out what it, well, because they ordered pig brains. Nobody likes it. It's real gritty. It's it's anyway. So uh, there was a time I was in Oregon on my West Coast tour and uh, Buddy and I went rafting. So we went whitewater rafting in between gigs and whatever. And, you know, it's snow melt. So this was on the Deschutes River in Oregon, where Deschutes Brewery is and all that good stuff. Freezing cold snow melt. It didn't matter that it was July. It was ice cold, you know, colder than cold, but moving. So there's no ice in it. So the dude was, we got to a slow spot and he goes, yeah, feel free to hop in, take a dip, you know, if that's what you guys want to do. And son of a bitch, he, he must know us. Because <clears throat> he goes, I know these two Texans won't do it. That water's too cold. And before he finished the sentence, Both of our oars were in the boat and we were in the water. Now, I instantly regretted it. I did not want to do that at all. It was very cold. I was not happy with this. I asked him about snakes and they laughed their asses off. They were like, what are you talking about? I was like, do you have snakes in your rivers here? And they were like, no. And they're just laughing like it's the craziest thing in the world. And I'm like, well, we have these things in Texas that during breeding season, which is the time you want to go out and be in the river, then there's these balls of water snakes that will roll down with the current breeding and if you stick your leg in one of them, then they all tag you and you will die before you get anywhere. Yeah. So- oh, man, there's a there's a a story about that up here in Connecticut. We have those water snakes, too, man. I mean, geez, it'll make you think twice before you jump off your canoe for sure. We still do it because you, know, you <laughs> hope that the splash will scare whatever out. And it usually does, you know, and so you swim in like waters you don't want to, but you do, you know, because it's just what you do. Right. And so we just dare each other to do shit. And yeah, uh, you just got to take people up on it because uh, it's also an opportunity to overcome, you know, something for you. Right. So in the grand scheme of things, this is all kind of uh, put towards you as an opportunity to be a greater, grander version of yourself and to see if you'll do it. But yeah, man, we get you know, a drinking, all that kind of stuff. You know, I want to drink with a Texan and no, you don't because we will out drink you. Just don't. Well, I'm not in that race for sure. Maybe, yeah. 
smoking contest if you'd ever take me up on it. I'll go blunt mm. for blunt with you. But... I'll take you up on that. I heard drinking a year ago. <laughs> but it's for anybody out there that does want to do such a foolish thing. Don't do that. Well, let's go back to China because, and to yeah. clarify, it's the triads that are sort of, that's like the general name for criminal organizations in China. I had to look that up. There but there are, I mean, there's a multitude of gangs yeah. and I'm sure they're all regional, but they're they're generally called triad societies. Now, See, which one is in Kunming with a K? With Quin, a K? K-U-N, yeah, K-U-N-M-I-N-G, I believe, Kunming. Okay. With a K. That's that's gonna take a while. So while I'm doing no, yeah, that, take your time. But that's that's where I was was in Quinmi. <laughs> while I'm doing chat. while I'm doing that, I do have a question for you though. Hell yeah! So outside of true crime, political, you know, interests, was there anything particularly metaphysical about your experience in China? And this could go you know, a million different ways. I mean, naturally, the synchronicity that you described with the joint in the cigarette pack and this guy, uh, Wang something or other, I'm sorry, sir. If you're out there listening to this, he wouldn't understand oh. it anyways. He does not. If you're not singing Bob Marley, he has no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Wong Fong? Wu Fong. Wu Fong, okay. Wu Fong. It means little bird. Or but something like that. outside of the the synchronicity with Wu Feng, was there anything? Was there anything strange, metaphysical? I mean, China is an old, old place. That one, yeah. The whole trip, and really the first night, was the most spiritual that I had the entire experience because it set up for all the other spiritualness, and I can I can talk about that. But yeah, one thing that was mind blowing about this was that you're walking over bridges that are thousands of years older than your country thousands of years older. I got the opportunity to go stay in an ancient city in Guiyang. And in Guiyang, right outside of it, there was the owner of the place that I played at owned a little like, I don't want to say compound, but it was a like a multi-billion building area with like a courtyard in the middle with Mandarin orange trees, dude. And it was right next to this temple set on this mountain. And so in the temple, you know, I got to stay there for a couple of days. We actually canceled a show to stay there an extra day. This is how mind-blowing this place was. But it's an ancient city. And you're not allowed to stay there unless you live there or know someone that lives there. So I got to stay there because the guy that owned the place invited us to stay there. So we'd wake up in the morning to the chants of the temple with the incense going right next to a rushing river. And you could see this right down the wall. Pick you a handful of mandarin oranges and you have your, you know, rope sandals and your uh, robe that, you know, we'd gotten along the trip. And so you walk these ancient, ancient, ancient steps, man, and these stones that have been there for thousands of years down the same streets with the same families with doing the same stuff in the same way. And it's it's unbelievable. And then you go get breakfast and then you come back and do the the people, like I said, the the food, everything about it. But this mind blowing fact that it is so old and you think about the energy that's there. And I mean, I know that we're finding out that the U.S. is a lot older than, you know, or there's been a, there's been people here a lot longer than we thought. But that that place is like remained old. You know, they didn't cover it up like they did here. Um, so let me tell you about the first night. So that, that was like my second ego death. I think my first one was my first time to ever take a psychedelics and that was liquid acid. And that was insane, absolute massive horribleness. And that was my first one. The second one was definitely the first night that I was in China. So I, you know, was a 26 year old dude. I was a musician. I had, you know, fuck off or jobs or anything like that. And so I just played my way through life literally. And so my guitar took me over there, but it didn't pay my way over there. So I borrowed money to get over there. 
I borrowed money to get a bunch of CDs printed of my record and then shipped it over there for income to pay this back, right? And then I, my grandmother gifted me the money for the plane ticket for my birthday. And so all of this was like with the expectation in my own mind, nobody that really lent me money expected anything of it. This was self-induced that I was had the weight of this thing being monetarily successful for me to enjoy it and have a good time, right? And so I was just in this mindset. So I, the CDs actually got stuck in customs. I never saw them. I had merch. I had stuff that I was planning to sell. But the first day I got there, the moment I got there, I found out I was never going to see those things again and still haven't, still waiting on them. But it was like $600 worth of CDs and shit. And I was planning, you know, to sell that off, whatever. So anyway, that didn't happen. So there's that. The other thing was my guide. He was supposed to speak English. And again, this was an ego thing at the time. I was really upset about this right at first because I was scared, dude. I mean, this is and this is the theme. This is this is where we are. I was scared shitless. Right when I left to go is when I got all my shots and that made me sick. Right. And so I'm on like my last 12 hour flight. It took like 30 something hours to get there. It was, it was stupid with the layovers and all that shit. I'm on my last flight, 12-hour flight over the North Pole, air quotes, and to Beijing, and I just get super sick. Like, I start puking everywhere. I'm shaking violently. I can't keep water down, you know, anything like that. And I'm in the middle of the air over the Arctic, and there's nothing I can do about it. Now, the other thing was, is right when I landed, I had a show book that night or that day because it was like you meet the sun on the other side of the planet, right? And so, um, or whatever this is. And so I get in, uh, dude did not speak any English whatsoever, had no idea where we were going, what we were supposed to do. So he goes to his friend's place, which was just this apartment. And the apartments are just very, very different. So culturally, I was getting this massive culture shock. I've never experienced anything like this again, scared and sick, you know, off my game, fatigued physically. And now I'm expected to perform. And so we found out that CDs were stuck in customs. I go do the first show. Had a blast. Everything was awesome. There were 15 people there and it was supposed to be a sold out, you know, packed house, whatever. So no money on that. And I was just like, okay. And so we had no money to stay anywhere. And so we stayed at his friend's place. Well, his friend's place was this small, 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 small tile, everything, uh, one bed, like three or four people were sleeping in the bed. I was sleeping on the floor and with this cat that constantly licked me and just shedded hair everywhere. And I don't know why that played into it, but it was a part of it. I go into the bathroom because I'm still sick as a dog and I just puke and puke and puke. And I notice that the toilet is a hole in the ground and that is their toilet. Right. And so, again, culture shock, like your your shower drain is your toilet. So I am bawling my eyes out. I'm shaking. I'm crying. No one speaks English. I'm cold. You know, it's no yeah October in northern China. I'm freezing cold. I'm 26. I'm stupid as hell. I've, I owe this money again mentally. And nothing is working out as it should. And I just looked myself in the mirror and said, go the fuck home, dude. You're in Beijing. You know, get the fuck on a flight. Call your whoever you need to call and get bailed out of this and go. And I just sat in that for a minute. And I was just so upset and just bawling my eyes out. And there was just this thing. And I got to say, this was the spiritual part of it. There was this thing that said, dude, just wait, just do one more city. And I knew that the next city was a four hour train ride, which is nothing. And so the next city, four hours away, I go, dude, just one more city, just one more city. Best decision I've ever made in my life. Had I have gone, it would have been, you know, a defeat on all levels, right? But I chose to work through that. And after the next city, each city got better and better and better. Not that we didn't have our challenges. You know, we ran out of money one time and I had to pay, I, I got to play in a subway, a subway station to get us enough money to get us on a train. And this happened within like minutes of the train leaving, by the way, so we could get to the gig to make money to make it to the next gig. Like everything depended on 
these things all working out, you know, just stupid well. And for the most part, it did. And then we'd, we'd figured it out, you know, and I was like, Wufong, no more hookers. Okay, no more, no more prostitutes. We got to save this money. It was like, okay. And then next city, boom, we got paid really, really well that night and prostitutes. I was like, bro. Anyway, but, but again, we ended up becoming brothers. I mean, absolute brothers. We had uh, one falling out. And other than that, I just love that man to death. Love that man to death. He's just, like I said, and we, we could not audibly communicate. But you, again, all, you know, a lot, some people over there speak English, some don't. We met a lot of English speaking people from other countries that would come there and teach. And so that was nice when I could finally just do this and just explode out of my mouth. You can imagine me after not talking for like two weeks, you know, on these like 28 hour long train rides and gig, 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 you know, and no one speaking English at all. And then meeting someone like that's German, but he speaks English. I'm just like, ah, and I just blow up over the poor guy. But it was incredible, man. It was, he's like I said, one of the most incredible uh, times I've ever had, ever. I'm glad I stuck it through. I'm glad I stayed. Yeah, absolutely. And for everyone out there, maybe even people listen to this while they're out there on a trip. Keep that in mind, you know, you never know what can happen, but there's something that happens when you commit to the journey. And I think that's what you demonstrated in that moment. And wow, yeah, it definitely sounds like it was a reward. I, I've never been that far, I mean, even close to that far out of my element. I've never left the United States. I've never been in a situation where English wasn't the primary language, but you know, as an introspective guy who can you know, sometimes enjoy being to myself, I might, yeah, I might enjoy being in a place where nobody could speak to me, f save for the rare few people. So yeah, wow, that's really turning some gears. You know, you're not the first guest we've had on the show who's been to China. Actually, episode 26, I interviewed David Wei, who if you haven't had him on your show yet, definitely recommend you talk to him. He, you know, I think we just connected through Instagram. He's not out there with a book or anything like that. But he he trained in Wudang, China with the monks. The Wu, Wu, you know, the actual, like, you have, like, the sort of guys that wear the orange stuff. And they, like, you know, that's the Shaolin monks. He was the opposite. These guys are, like, laid back, sage, mystic type monks. And that was a really great conversation. He lives in California uh, now, but yeah, definitely want to put you in touch with him since you've actually been to China. But yeah, man, I, I mean, I guess the other angle that we could go with this is, you know, given the ancient history of China, I mean, what do you think being there? Would it make sense that the government would like conceal something like Great Pyramids? I mean, that's one of the big you know, rumors is that there's these huge pyramids somewhere out there in China, and it would make sense. I mean, look at where all the other pyramids are on the world. I mean, if you draw a line across the map, you see this line of pyramids that stops at China. Why would it stop? I mean, it's just really only stopped because of the political boundary, I think. I completely agree. And when I was there in 2008, it was very restrictive. I couldn't pull my own Facebook up there. And there are not a lot of people, when I was there again, 2008, there was not a lot of people had uh, computers in their place of residence. So you go to these things called computer bars or Womba. And so you go to this computer bar and it's just row and row and row and row and row of computers. And you just log in, you pay for time or whatever. And that's how a lot of people do it. But extremely censored over there, man. You couldn't pull up Facebook. I think that they, they ban and restrict all kinds of stuff. They just redact. It's like 
the information they get there is like the slave Bible. It's been heavily redacted and they do not want you to know the truth. So really over there, there's a prevalent ignorance. It's not their fault. You know, they just don't have access to it. They're about 10, 15 years behind on music, TV shows, all that stuff. When I went, that show Prison, fuck, what was it? Something prison, something. Anyway, it was with a dude, and he had a tattoo of a prison on his back, and he went in, he got arrested to break his brother out and all this crazy shit. Anyway, that was like 10 years ago for me. For them, they just got it, and they were all super excited about it. They all wanted to know if I'd seen it, if I knew the guy, if we like hung out and stuff, and everyone was obsessed about this. Same thing with the music. It's about 10 years back. And so really, the the stranglehold they've got on information, the Chinese government, the CCP, is unbelievable plus the control that they have especially i mean and that was then it's only ramped up right so uh the but again the people just kind of know this it's not that they're beaten down and man that i, I saw some there uh, so another thing to kind of think about is how many fucking human beings are over there you know there's four of them to every one of us. When, uh, For reference, there was a town that I played in. It was like the second or third city that we went to. And it was just called a city. It was no big deal. It was called Zebo China. And there was something like 12 million people listening to me on the radio there. I had a radio interview that was like in some huge tower or whatever. And it was like me talking to a translator, translator talking to the DJ. The DJ would you know respond and then that thing. And then I played live on the air and all that. But he showed me the number of how many people were listening or receiving the signal. It was 12,183,000 something crazy, right? I was just like, what the fuck? But it's Zebo China. You've never heard of it. And that was a sliver of the population in that city. So the the scale at which people are there, they, they just, they can't fuck around, you know? And China knows this, you know? So this is why they suppress the hell out of the information. It's because they have the numbers, but they need to have just this grip over them that's just relentless for it to be squashed out so that they don't even get a head start. That's kind of how I view it. Right. But, I mean, there's firewalls. There's all kinds of shit that's happening now, but it's, I mean, to great detriment. People get just yanked out of their homes. I mean, I, I've had a guest on recently that I highly recommend you get on, and Mitchell Nicholas Gerber, and he talks about the organ trades going on, or the organ illegal organ harvesting happening against the Fudong practitioners and man it's sick it'll it'll it, it is sick in your stomach it's not for the week that's i haven't released it yet but it'll be out soon i i qualify myself as one of those people so as much as i i i have booked mr gerber on tinfoil hat so he'll definitely be on a much larger audience than my show He's, can provide. But yeah, I, I can, I do say that one clause for listeners. Don't expect a lot of shows like that from me because for whatever reason at this point in my life, you know, and I, I would love to meet this gentleman and, and I'm sure I'd love to hear him out and I'm sure he'd be kind enough to maybe save me the gruesome details. But yeah, I mean, I had an episode recently where we talked about the organ trafficking that went on here in the United States only a couple hundred years ago. And even within the historical context, it kind of made me a little sick. But yeah, I, I think I misspoke earlier. I, I worked at a, a bakery where everybody spoke Spanish. And I also happened to work as a delivery guy for a Chinese food restaurant where the cooks only spoke Chinese. So I, I have been in situations like this. I remember sort of having a fun interaction with one of the Chinese cooks where, you know, the, my boss would have me drive them to this bus stop that would take them on a big bus back to New York City because they would, you know, live at my boss's house for a couple of days and then go back and, you know, spend, live in their apartment 
for whatever, you know, weird hours, weird working hours. But anyways, that led for these like brief, but kind of awkward car rides, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes <laughs> where, you know, eventually they'd muster up the courage and be like, marijuana. And I'm, and I'm like, like, oh, thank God. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I smoke in the car. And then I'd be like, do you want to smoke? And then they'd be like, no, 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 no. But then, you know, over time they kind of warmed up to it because they knew I wasn't going to tell on them, I think. And, yeah. and I remember smoking with Lynn, shout out to Lynn, if he ever somehow listens to this, but uh, yeah, very, very interesting. And, you know, I think that's kind of it's it's interesting i wanted to ask about bookstores but i kind of thought to myself like do they have a lot of bookstores in china i mean is that like a thing if they're suppressing knowledge i mean obviously you couldn't go in there and tell me you know what what the bookstores were offering if they if they did have them but i was also kind of curious you know given what you said about computers what the freedom of like literature was like over there same suppressed very suppressed they they will have things a lot of the stuff they have like is either news or ancient writings like ancient teachings and stuff i got a book on ancient teachings i can't read it but a former version in a former life could and so i gravitated towards this thing it was really cool and my guide kind of explained that it was just about ancient teachings and proverbs and stuff like that so honestly i'm not sure about the repertoire that people have access to over there like i said there's a lot of like firewalls in place now and i've got a good friend uh, named Xiaoman. she's Chinese, but she lives in Sydney, Australia. But we've communicated several times. She's been on the show. Unbelievable, by the way. You would absolutely, I'm going to set you all up now that I think about it. I'll set you up. Uh, she is wonderful, but she is running like this amazing network. And she wrote an article that kind of went viral in, I think, 2020 when all the nonsense was happening. And it went just absolutely viral because she is not on board with this. And so she got like billion something clicks. So she knows all of these people and has just is a magnet for amazing people in the underground that really want to get information out. So it's becoming navigable now, which is great. I want to tell you about an awkward car ride for me. So a lot of people don't know that there's no such language as Chinese. That's a culture, right? Like you're not, you don't speak American, you are American. So what there is though over there is Mandarin mainly, and that's what the government speaks. So the voice of Beijing is in Mandarin. And then you have Cantonese and then about like a bunch of different dialects. Somebody said, 40 something, 46 different dialects or something like that in the mountain country. So er, mountain places. So what's we were in the South, which is predominantly Cantonese speaking. And that's the one that sounds like you're falling off a cliff. And so um, we're in a cab and we're we just got from the train station. We're looking to get to the gig. Right. My guide and I in China. And we get in and the guy asks him something, asks Wufong something. Wufong answers him in what sounds to me like the same language. And then Wufong looks at me and he said, what did he say? I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? I, what do you mean? And turns out Wufong didn't speak Cantonese. So now we had an English speaker, a Mandarin and a Cantonese speaker. And there was no middle ground. There was like nothing in between. Now we didn't, I didn't have a smartphone. Like we, this is 2008. So uh, we just figured it out somehow. But it, the fact that that existed was insane to me as well. It's like getting into, yes, in a, a driver only speaking Spanish or something like that equivalent. Well, and it so, goes yeah. to show like the psychic nature of human interaction. You know, when yes. you push yourself outside of that verbal communication, because like whatever the circumstances were, there was a set of things that you guys needed to do. And I'm sure a lot of body language went into it and miming and all those other little things. But there's a certain level of like perception, a psychic perception. We all sort of have the same premise. And then 
using whatever you know we have besides language to sort of define that and clarify it but yeah i do think that lends to the conversation about psychism a hundred percent man because i mean i had the most incredible interactions with people and we did not speak a word of the same language at all and we didn't need to that was the coolest part and it's like they were intuitive enough to pick up on that and not make it you see sometimes examples again and we don't have great representatives in all areas and we wish we did but examples of people here that speak to people that don't speak the same language as them and they're very condescending they're very like well you think this, and they over articulate like they're they're playing way down to these people they never did that not once everyone was absolutely patient no one was over the fact that I didn't understand them verbally because they were creative and intelligent enough to create and be able to disseminate information and have a conversation in a way that wasn't net, wasn't dependent at all on verbal communication. And like I said, I made some of the in, most incredible connections over there and had the most amazing moments with people and we did not speak the same language at all. You don't need it just to what you said. And I think that absolutely kicks in because you're in that state of vulnerable awareness. So again, at the, this whole time, I was just, no fucking clue what's going on just going with it everywhere right. and that was kind of the motto but it lends to also then that perhaps i got some advantage with that and being a little bit more psychically active to be able to exist in that environment you know it's like we don't use when you don't use your senses for a while like let's say salamanders that don't have eyes you know air pigment in caves because they don't need it well, when you don't use your voice perhaps it just strengthens your other abilities to communicate and receive information who knows you know right Right. And, you know, it speaks to the universal nature of music. I mean, the fact that you went over there in the first place and it kind of brings us to a, maybe a new part of the conversation because, you know, you're, you've been to China. You're not an expert on China. You certainly know a lot. I appreciate you teaching me all of that. But I don't want to go too far into China because, you know, you have a podcast it's yeah. about so many things beyond that. It's it's not Brandon Thomas's travel podcast, as interesting as that would be. But, you know, it's often said that, you know, if an alien culture were to meet us, the only way we'd be able to speak to them would be through mathematics. And I guess as a musician, my question to you, or not the only way we'd be able to speak to them, but that would be the common ground, right? Binary specifically would be the common ground because it's the simplest way to convey this sort of, you know, basic function of our reality when you measure it. And I think music, I don't know, do you think if aliens came here, if they haven't already, I know you've talked to a lot of people who would tell us that they already are here, but do you think they would speak to us with music? What do you, I mean, that's kind of maybe a, a crazy speculation, but I feel like there's a culture out there in the stars that communicates with music and they're way more advanced than us. Is that, is that a stretch to, to pose? What do you think you could add to that? Yeah, I don't think it's a stretch at all. I think that's, that could be way closer to the truth than anything else, actually. We have examples of that this would be a viable means of communication in at least pop culture. So in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, they do this whenever the, the spoiler alert, guys, so the ship comes in on Devil's Tower at the end. It's made in the 70s. Go watch it. I, the ship comes down, they communicate through music, and that's how they'd been communicating with this thing the entire time, were those simple tones. And then it would mimic these tones back, but those tones were also associated with lights as well 
and then it would flash the same color lights and same patterns and all that. And so, yes, this would be a great way to communicate with one another. You you see this in the animal kingdom around here as well, especially primates. So, you know, you raise an arm, they'll raise an arm. You um, blow a kiss, they'll blow a kiss. They're very uh, big into mimicry. I have China stories about monkeys, but we're not going to talk about it. So uh, the, you see these examples of this uh, interaction, again, not being non like verbally, it doesn't matter. Then you kind of ask the question and I mean, then that also filters into what you think aliens are, which would then filter into what you think this place is. And there's a many conversations and avenues we could go down with that. But let's say that they're the nuts and bolts type that come from another star system. Well, yeah, you can beam binary or some sort of Morse code or something like that to have tones. And then, of course, that's just vibration. So vibration and matter is music and sound. So you know, that's the first words of the Bible. God spoke the universe into existence. It's, you know, we know spelling is very important. So sounds and an auditory component would be absolutely necessary if in the same type of environment where sound occurs at all. Now, I don't picture an environment where that wouldn't exist even on a zero gravity level, but you'd have to think if they don't need those skills developed, would they have the ears to hear tones anyway? But if that's the case, then perhaps vibrationally, again, if they didn't have the ears, they would have accentuations in other aspects that they could probably pick up and perceive vibrations in a way that it feels like the way we hear, but really it's just they're picking it up through a different sense, even though it's going to kind of be communicable, you know? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, it goes so crazy. Again, if you, I mean, but music, if they're, uh, you go the unity consciousness route and they're all us or we're all one, then yes, we know music, so they know music, as above, so below. And that would be a wonderful medium to meet on because you're right, mathematically, which is we, we're told is a universal constant, vibration frequency, those are universal constants, so that would be actually probably the best avenue to try first. They're not going to understand howdy, you know, again, unless we're talking about it through a unity consciousness lens, which would then mean that, yeah, they know us anyway because they are us, right? So then it could be um, perceived in that way. But I would think, again, uh, music would be the best way to do this for damn sure. Like for damn sure. Well, and, and thank right. you for entertaining that. I, it really just came out of nowhere, but I felt inspired to ask you, given yeah. your, your position as a musician, didn't mean for that to rhyme, but... As a musician. <laughs> <look at that. laughs> I'm wondering, you know... Given the range of guests you've had, I mean, how many, because I kind of feel like, you know, I never want to be one-sided. And I think a lot of podcasters have this approach, you know, we don't want to come off as one-sided. We don't want to alienate anybody. Excuse Damn, me. Give this guy a show. But, uh, but I think what? that with the alien conversation, there are two groups that are quickly kind of growing. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to be here to, to divide it. So maybe there's more than two groups, but it does feel like it's becoming, you know, and sort of a dangerous or murky waters to get in. I mean, you have a lot of people that want to talk about the government coming to save us, <laughs> you know, Never gonna happen. right. And then, and then those people are conveniently next to the people who are like, oh, well, I represent the government and it's all real. We are not going to tell <laughs> you, you, you know, and then there's the real sensible folks who have, at least who seem sensible, who have enough experience to go and do research and put a book together and then there's everybody else who who has an experience or maybe doesn't, right? So, I mean, with the broad scope of of 
the the people you've talked to, has anybody made a, a more compelling case than Jim Penniston? Because I think listening to that episode that you... I love that episode, yeah. And I mean, he's very, very, like he's a standout, you know, experiencer. And I remember seeing his story, you know, how do they, reproduced on History Channel and, and him yeah. being interviewed by the History Channel. And it always stuck with me, this like element of, you know, binary code being like imported into his brain and then him like having this like conscious experience of like, I need to get these numbers out of me. And then they just happen to mean something, you know, and what it means seems to go in line with this Project Bluebeam thing, which then casts a whole bunch of suspicion. So as someone who's talked to the gentleman himself, what's your take on that situation and, and where that case rests within this sort of, I don't know, sort of a new debate? Maybe it's an old debate and I'm just new to it, but... What do you think? This has been Murky Waters from the beginning. Uh, to Jim, to your point about Jim, and thank you for listening to that. That's one of my favorite, uh, you know, they're all my favorite, right? But uh, Jim's awesome. And him and I are just buddies. Like, I'll just sit on the couch, I'll roll a dube, and uh, we'll just talk about UFOs and shit. And it's so much fun. And so uh, getting to talk to him was really, really cool. Now, I, I'd been following the Rendlesham case for a long time, just simply because of ufology and all. And that case is very interesting, just simply because there were so many witnesses. It was militarily confirmed, which could also imply a psyop, by the way. I don't ever rule anything out but his experience and what he experienced because i do believe that this is what this man experienced I, I like the bob lazar story some people say the bob lazar walked through a basically like a movie set and that he was shown what they wanted him to see and knew that he would get the information out and that's the only way this stuff goes out if they'll shoot you for being able to you know un, unalive you in some way for being building an engine that runs on water, you know what I mean, or curing cancer, then telling people that you worked at S4 and then revealing all this information, I get the martyrdom thing and I love Bob Lazar's story and I completely again think that he is 100% credible. The question is, is did the government set it up in a way to where he walked through that place and felt like he was doing what he articulated because that would be the best way to get him convincible enough to put it out, right? Is you basically convince him that it's real. That That's a big, long rabbit hole. But to Jim's thing, again, I believe that this man believes that. I believe that this happened to him. Now, rather this was something military, again, in, involved to where they beam something at him and this craft was actually some sort of weapon, either in conjunction with some sort of non-human intelligences, we can't roll that out, or something developed by our own government, perhaps that's been a government that's been here for a very long time, that's just playing a really good role. And maybe they're the whole thing. You know, there's people don't rule that out. One of my favorites has always been the future humans coming back in time machines. That one just is so much fun. Easily one of my favorites. I've had the honor of having uh, Dr. Michael P. Masters on. And he is a biologist and anthropologist. And so he actually looks at ancient hominids. And so his whole hypothesis is built around his scientific career and looking at skull shapes and patterns and bipedalism is like the craziest thing ever, you know, because we shouldn't, you know, we're the only species that does it. And the fact that there are so many species that people report as non-human intelligences that are bipedal, it's just like the odds are ridiculous. And so that's a fascinating concept. Now, I did have a gentleman on who wrote an awesome book called UFOs, The Real Story. His name's Paul Askoff. 
And uh, he has an interdimensional hypothesis, which I'm also a massive fan because it takes care of everything. It like basically just says, okay, whatever, Bigfoot, paranormal, time travel, missing time, time slips, quantum physics, all that shit, it's all interdimensional. Like you can just go, yep, interdimensional. And that one is fascinating to me as well, because that just makes the mind go. The nuts and bolts, folks, is where we all start. You know, you start that they're coming from other planets in these vehicles somehow. And then you, you know, get down the literal wormhole of wormholes and um, you start looking at the physics of this stuff. And that's kind of where we all start. Uh, and then you go through the Anunnaki phase where they were, you know, ancient things from a planet X that came here and made us, you know, the whole Prometheus idea. And then it just kind of goes. And I... I think, though, that this phenomena, just like any great mysteries, it's the more you look at it, the bigger it gets, the more there is to look at, you know, and the, the more there is to connect, which only makes it far more puzzling. And so I don't know that we'll ever dial it into one thing. I also, at another level with what I've been thinking about lately, don't think that we are supposed to. I think it's an artifact of this experience that we're choosing to have. And so you won't get to the bottom of it. It'll And there's historical reasons for me to say this as far as what the reports from craft are and it's that they're just one step out of what we can conceive conceptually which again just kind of lends to that it just gets more complicated it's a carrot on a stick you know you're never going to catch it it's 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 meant to be there you know as this mystery to keep you you know it's it's a means of connecting with people it's a means of exploring an alternative to the narrative that's here it it really wraps your mind up in mystery for folks like us that need that type of thing to make this place interesting you know because we're so fucking bored of the matrix it's like uh but aliens are cool as shit, you know, and so they could be an artifact of this experience, again, for folks that are here to have it. You know, it's when you get to the point in the story of the choose your own adventure and you go, aliens, what's that? And most people would go, uh-uh, and they turn back to the Matrix. We go, what's that? And we flip over there and now we manifest this experience. And perhaps, you know, that might be one of the ways it works. Or it could just be all you. You know, like this is where Terrence McKenna, Jacques Vallée, Jalen Hunnick, the daddy of Project Blue Book, they all got to the point at the end of their lives, and Jacques Vallée is still alive, of course, but to where they have entertained the thought that it's all us. It's a psychosemantic thing. And especially with Terrence McKenna's knowledge on the mind and how altered it can perceive its reality, that's not a bad hypothesis at all. It could, like I said, be all you. And you know Mira, Mira Taylor. She and I have had deep conversations about this, and her thing that just got us both just kind of going off of it is that it is you, but the abductions are craft that take you back inside yourself to do actual inner work because there's nowhere else to go kind of a thing you know and it may present itself in this way because it's too big of a shock for your physical body and psyche the way that it is so you need it to be in this extreme fashion to occur and then to either talk about or not or report or not or remember or not uh, you can choose that too and maybe that's what's going on. And because you, again, hear reports of people talk about that they, you know, had horrible back pain or some sort of disease and then they got abducted and aliens physically did some things to them. Which there's a good argument to say that they don't take your physical body at all, that it's your astral body that goes. And that's why you can phase through walls and windows and stuff like that. And then they manipulate your astral body or your, you know, light body. And then they replace that back into your body. And then that, of course, is the architecture. So it translates into your physical reality, which then heals you in some miraculous way. So, like, what does that sound like? You know, that sounds like an incredible psychedelic experience. That sounds like you having an astral trip inside of yourself to work with the creator or representatives that present themselves in that way so that there is a buffer between you and the everything. And then uh, you you kind of have this experience. It could be that, or it could be a physical component as well, or it could be all of it. It could be that they're standing right next to you right now and that our eyes only have such a limited frequency range and 
they're crowded around you all the time, you know? Who knows? Now, and yeah, I mean, that's phenomenal to think that it's something with maybe even your higher self where you're being, you know, pulled into, level. Yeah, yeah, like a, like a, like your higher selves. I mean, I was trying to try to ex explain it right. through, yeah, words. It yeah. just doesn't do it justice, but. Have you had any experiences that maybe classify within the realms of like an encounter at all, or or has this always just been a fascination? I I have not that I remember. I will put that caveat. I don't think I'm meant to. I've really thought about this to be honest with you, <clears throat> because I've wanted you know done the CE five or you know participated in something similar to the CE five. It wasn't the real thing, which then you could say, well, that's why. Um, but I've been studying this stuff for well over well over twenty years. So I've been very interested. Never seen a ghost. Never experienced anything paranormal. No UFOs. Not even really really far away. No abductions. Again, that I remember. But I, I and because of this, because of my strong desire and interest, will which there's. Again, two ways you can look at it. In manifestation, you know, it's if you really, really want something, it's kind of like a needy partner. It pushes you away. And so you resist it because you really are open to it and you want it, right? Another way to look at it is, is that I'm meant to be objective. I'm meant to be able to take all of this information in and not judge anyone for it because I absolutely don't. My show is not about proving what I think at the time right because that's all it is, what I think at the time. And it it's not about, you know, proving me right or them wrong or anything like that, man. It's just let's talk about the stories and being that open and having the type of show that I do where I have an interest in that much a subject matter has really lent me the opportunity to connect some of these things in a way that, you know, some people are starting to do now. You know, that the paranormal is probably part of the UFO phenomena as well. Time travel probably is real because you can look at it through a few different lenses. So, um that's just kind of the way that uh, I feel about it. I don't think I'm meant to uh, know because it may perturb the way that I view it and the objectivity well, that I And have. to your point, I mean, and that's often why these subjects don't get the appreciation from the academic sources that may verify them entirely. And oftentimes I think that's, you know, ill-conceived venture to go and ask the academics to, you know, verify something that they're inherently trying to maybe even keep suppressed or just are happy to be ignorant of. But yeah, it's often why people who experience UFOs or Bigfoot, you know, become these sort of reclusive types about their story. Obviously, when they're on a show like this, they know that there are warm ears waiting for them to, to hear the story. That tends to sort of open things up but i've had guests on the show who have experienced really strange things and even are you know still in in welcome company pretty close guarded have you ever had any conversations like that where you were almost feeling like maybe you're asking prying questions i mean i have had those you know conversations myself shout out to seb bland he was a great guest but i i did feel like you know part of his story and Ryan Bledsoe, another guest who, you know, feels like there are some things he's probably way more open than other things to talk about, and understandably so, given the attention his family's received from some government groups. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yes, I have, absolutely. Now, my number one goal, and you've been on the show, man, I've explained this to you, is to make the guests feel the most comfortable possible, no matter what subject matter we have. And for the I record, I was extremely comfortable and I was expansively comfortable on your show. 
Thank you for that uh, clarification. I, I don't uh, need external validation, but I love uh, the clarification, to be honest with you. A level of me really likes it. So it it's something that I, I, it's paramount to me, man. That's the reason I, you know, am so focused on the gear and the looks and the clips and the graphics, you know, the video, all of that stuff is the presentation for the guest. Because I know the cardinal rule. If that guest has a great time and we get super comfortable and we get in flow, I match flow. And so when we're in flow, we are in flow and we can dance our asses off. And that's when the real stuff gets talked about. It's like Jim mentioned on our uh, episode, we talked about things he's never said publicly. And just because I got out of my own way and we go where the conversation goes. And so to that, though, people know this going in that I'm very respectful. Uh, I want to hear their story. They know the type of content that I cover. They've usually heard a few episodes and have reached out to me, which is very sweet. And so I, I get listeners that reach out and say, hey, I, you know, this business person and I've had this experience and it's it was continuing since I was eight. And then I hooked them up with Opus, which is the organization organization for paranormal understanding and support, Lester Velez's project, and they get help. So it's kind of like this Tai Ching of, being the person that people can go to and not feel like they're going to uh, be judged. And actually, it's the opposite. They're ready to have their story told by someone that is that open to listen to it and engage in it for what it is. I, I had a wonderful woman on the show named Stephanie Patel, and she reached out a very quiet, very to herself woman. But she is uh, channeling Steve Jobs, which was absolutely fascinating. Um, one of the sweetest people I've ever talked to in my life, and we had a wonderful conversation. She did a pendulum reading on the spot just because I asked, and she was willing just to do that, again, because of the comfortability and because of the flow. And uh, we just had an incredible conversation. Now, at the end of it, she said, thank you for listening to me. And dude, that, and she was so sincere. I still get goosebumps thinking about it. The way she said it, the look in her eyes, because you can tell that man, that that woman is what you thought Texas and being spiritual was like for me. That woman lived that because you can't just walk around telling people. You can, you should be able to, that you are channeling Steve Jobs just simply because it's you know of what it is, right? But she's got a home here, and she knows she has a home here. And everyone was so sweet about that episode. So it's that environment that I want to make sure that everybody that comes on the show or listens to the show knows that I come at it from a genuine place of love and curiosity. And I just want to hear the stories. I want to engage in what these people have experienced. And to this, honestly, this has led me to some of the greatest thought experiments I've ever been down because of that, I guess, uh, scruple for myself, that boundary for me. And it is to the consensus reality thing that I talk about quite often that perhaps uh, we all are not living in the same place. And that you guys are just kind of artifacts of this place, you know, or expressions of me in another form, but we co-collectively create and share to an extent. But I think a large, a huge percentage of our experience is completely isolated from anything else. And whatever you're engaging with isn't actually real, if that makes sense. It's of course real, okay? On a huge level, it's of course real. But this is what I mean by people saying that they see two different things standing right next to each other. Stephanie's experience that she's had is very different than anyone else, and she 100% believes it. There are people who experience these abduction phenomena. They'll come back with physical evidence, and people just shun it away like it was nothing. So it's like how much are, are people going to resist that information? But But what I think it is at a core, again, is that they just can't see it. It does not jive with their paradigm. They can't physically see it. It is, again, kind of like our vision spectrum, our light spectrum, our visible light that we can take into our eyes. It's it's minuscule. It's, it's laughable. And so this is kind of even their cognitive focus on what they're able to perceive. And so that is so far 
beyond the infrared, you know, to stick with the metaphor for them, that it's um, laughable and ridiculous. You know, so again, and I don't think that people are um, experiencing different things. I think that people are living different realities. I mean, I really kind of have entertained that quite a bit. And it's because of things like what I just said, the, the types of people that I interact with. They really believe this shit. This and, shit really happened to them, you know. And to beguile your point, I felt an immense amount of respect when I was on your show as a guest. So, and and I think even this conversation, I tried to, because I do this with every guest, I try to emulate a little bit of what listeners can expect to hear, especially when it's a person like yourself who has an amazing podcast that I have listened to, because. Unfortunately, I don't have time to listen to everything, but I do make time to listen to Expanding Reality when the guest seems up my alley. And yeah, I tried to bring a little bit of that to this conversation. It's funny, I changed my camera angle to show you how interesting it is that the one day I have a musical instrument oh. on my desk, we talk about this. And this that was there just totally randomly. It's my girlfriend Tara's instrument. It was on the table over there but i'm like you know this might be cool for like little sound effects when i'm doing my outro just like a little bell because i use some like you know bell that i downloaded but it'd be cool if it was like an organic real sound maybe a different sound every time so yeah and it's based on in your stroke across even though it might be imperceivably different it's based on the energy that you we of the conversation that you just had <clears throat> so you're actually going to actually put different energy into that tone every time. It'll resonate at the frequency of the conversation. That's And that's exactly what I think we're kind of, and I don't want to give myself too much credit because I do see this in your style of podcasting and I'm a little newer than you, but you, you match your guests' energy well. And for the times that I've been on your group podcast that you do, which is a difficult thing to pull off. I mean, not many people appreciate how difficult it can be to manage a group podcast. And I've even heard some other, you know, people be like, oh, yeah, I never listen to those too many people talking. Yeah, you do it really well. And I think it's because you understand resonance and you feel the, 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 the energy of the conversation. And I've noticed this when there are certain people that could be utilized you point them out and you give them a chance to speak and you know maybe i'm i'm going too far out of my way to compliment you but i think that people ought to check out what you're doing on rockfin i don't know if those shows make their way to the rss feed uh, i'm not sure maybe they do and i'm totally wrong but uh, but you do a great job with those i just wanted to point that out Thank you so much. I'm open to receive your compliment. And I'm truly, truly grateful. I mean, especially, and you know, I love the shit out of you, man. I've got nothing but respect for you, brother. You do a phenomenal job. And just the way you connect people, the way that you host your show, the way, the way, the way you make your guest feel, this is how you do it. And you've got just a phenomenal show and a phenomenal style. And I just can't say enough nice things about you. So thank you so much, man, for saying what you said. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. To the lives, they are a different animal and I'm just getting into them. So again, thank you for your compliment on that. I don't um, I, I am learning. We're learning. So they are, though, replayed on my website. So the website, you guys go check out. You can, you know, uh, contribute to the show if you'd like, become an expansive insider. But if you want, like 99.9% .9 of the damn thing is completely free and you don't have to sign up. Just go check it out. But the lives are replayed there. And there's a bunch of too hot for YouTube stuff, like all the shit that keeps getting pulled from YouTube. I just have a 
folder for it, video, everything uh, in complete there for absolute free, just expandingrealitypodcast.com. Lives are replayed there. So they don't make it to the RSS feed. I find that for the same reason, I'd rather watch it, you know, for the same reason people don't go because there's too many damn people. In an audio-only version of what we do, it might get a little convoluted, and I just want to make sure the message is um, not taken out of context or someone thinks someone said something that was the other thing. So just go check out the videos on uh, the website, expandingrealitypodcast.com. Totally free. Right on. Awesome. And Rockfin. Go check out Rockfin, though. Rockfin's dope. We have a bunch of cool stuff going on over there, and that's where we host the lives and, through. Cool. And I know we're, we're kind of plugging things, but this is by no means an opportunity to wrap up, I hope. I mean, unless no, you, yeah, yeah, you have to go. No, 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 no. This, I'm here. Cool. As long as this, uh, this is us. There's like, nowhere else in the world I'd rather be right now. Likewise. And I, I wanted to maybe take you into uncomfortable territory, maybe, because if we can qualify the, the general topics that you cover on expanding reality as comfortable for you what are some some theories some conspiracies that maybe brandon ponders that don't make their way to the podcast because you do have a certain vibe i don't know if every you know, i don't want to say that you limit yourself because i don't think you do you might just want to focus on certain things but are there like you know maybe darker subjects that you're curious about that don't make their way to expanding reality like how far do that because i notice you're 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 glass half full and i i'm the same way yeah. but i think you know your show and your guests tend to be that way too so i wonder are there like ole demigard like dreams of having him on talking about false flags or maybe you know like a guy like suruchi that's talking about the catholic church and all the things that they're doing and so on and on and on you know, there's a lot of different people kind of speculating on, on strange things. Are there any areas that immediately come up when I bring this up? Yeah. Now, being as open as I am to everything, absolutely. We've had those conversations on the show. Charlie Robinson was on. It was lighter, but, you know, because Charlie's amazing. So we had an awesome conversation. Uh, John Paul Rice has been on. That was a heavy one. That one went straight to the too hot for you. Well, and I shouldn't I shouldn't say that because UFOs can be kind of dark. So your your show is not like all half glass full all the time. I shouldn't characterize it like that. But in the terms of like historical, I, I don't get that sense that that's an immediate interest. Maybe I'm wrong. Hence no, why I I'm asking. No, you're absolutely right. And what's been very interesting about this, I'm grateful you asked, um, is because there's actually heavy elements to, I mean, a lot of shows. But what what we end up doing as as us sitting there figuring this thing out together and working through their experience or something like that, there's a there's a there's a light that I've got, man, and I just can't explain it other than that I'm just embracing it. There's something that happens when people bring heavy subjects to me. We talk them through. They know that I'm listening. They know that I'm here and I'm with them but I am an alchemist with energy. And so I can actually take energy and shift it and turn it into something useful, positive, not as dire, something like that, but with respect. So there is several, I mean, a lot of damn shows, man. We go the roller coaster. You know, it's tell me your story. We talk, I, I one that's really heavy that comes to mind is uh, Serena Faith Masterson, man. That one was tough. And she is MK Ultra, satanic cult raised, multiple personalities, fractured into over 130 multiple personalities. And it was heavy, man, kicked in the snow as a baby, like heavy shit. And we progressed through this incredible conversation. It was warm. It was loving. It was not the light bubbly style that I'm, I don't want to say prefer. I, I will say that I prefer authenticity. So whatever form that comes in is what I'm open to. And so this 
is though also an opportunity to be an alchemist in this way because it's all a blend of energies. Now, I'm not out to tell someone that, you know, something they experienced wasn't as bad as they thought and they should downplay their, you know, its impact in their lives. What I mean is, is perhaps offering a new perspective and a way of healing to move on by reading the energies of the people. So, yeah, man, we do heavy topics. Now, I will say just kind of personally, the reason you don't see a lot of like organ harvesting on my show, which we have coming out very, very soon, is is for that reason. I I don't care for, you know, that to think about that shit, to be honest with you. I know it happens. I know it occurs. And I am resistant in my own way to the narratives that are going on. But I don't contribute negative energy to the system in any form. And being exposed to things like that with the intent of getting upset about it because we know it's fucked up, then that's something that I'm choosing to do less and less and less. Now, I am engaged in thought experiments, and I know what the government... I really feel like I've got a good handle on what's going on over there, and I've just... You know, where your uh, attention goes, your energy flows, and so I've just diverted my attention. I've never been happier, ever. And so I'm way more of what Charlie uh, Robinson... I got the term from him, conspiracy analyst. I'm much more of an analyst. I will look at it dispassionately because I know it's fucked up. I know it's fucked up. I don't, though, have to engage in the act of contributing my loosh to that system that requires it from either side, right? From the ones, the victims that it exploits or from the people pissed off at it and then angry and hopeless. That's not the way to solve it, but it is still contributing energy into the system that just wants energy. And you find this with anything that divides. It just wants, and that's part of this dualistic state. Again, I'm just speaking personally. This is just kind of where I'm at right now. This could change next week. Who the fuck knows? But with those types of topics, I feel like they're covered very well by people who do it way better than me, man. You've got anyone on Union of the Unwanted. I mean, Ricky, Sam, but you, uh, the, the people that cover these things do it, like I said, so much better than I could because I won't take the time to be that great at it because of how heavy it is. Now, I, I will say this, the people that do research it and do it well, they're not excluded from that. They're just willing to bear that weight. And I just wasn't anymore when it comes to the really heavy shit. And so again, I shine light on, I will speak it. But as far as what it did to me personally, to Paul Revere and run around and to wake, you know, to attempt to wake people up in that way, I found that that's not. But what I have found is by being my altruistic self, changing me and the way that I choose for the reality I am in to mirror itself back to me, those conversations occur in a way that where it's not hopeless to where we present, you know, we see it as an opportunity, not as something that's, you know, the whole world's going to shit and then we have to sit in this mud puddle together and, and exist in that feeling. I've, I've really, like I said, just trying something new here. It's just an experiment at this point, but it's so far I've rewarded tenfold. I mean, more than that. That's a dramatic underestimation. And so that's just where I'm at with it, man. But I'm a lighthouse. If you want to talk about fucked up shit going on, let's absolutely do that. But I'm not yelling it anymore. I'm not presenting right. the information in a way. Well, and, and I wanted to hear you express that in your own words because that's the that's the general sense I got. You know, obviously you do touch on a variety of things and sometimes those things can be dark. And I'm glad you explained that episode to me because that's one I'd like to inter you know, interview and, okay. and maybe even, you know, or listen to and maybe even interview. But yeah, you know, that's something that I kind of feel like it was at least worth having you explain because it's it's kind of become it's not a problem by any means but it's definitely something that i'm worried about like i i do have these darker interests and and i don't mean like 
something that I'm going to do. I'm just interested in things like skull and bones and, and yeah. researching what they're all about. But at the same time, you, know, you can't unlearn something, you know, and I don't maybe don't want to know if there are darker rituals than what I've learned, what exactly they're doing. And, and your show does have this sort of, you know, for lack of a better phrase, glass half full energy to it. Yeah. So, yeah, I do think you're the right guy to talk to about this, but I do, you know, I want to maybe take this opportunity to explain to people that although we might not always have a positive conclusion to some of these data points that we're collecting, these events, and of course the opinions that come along with them and all the arguments and debates that come from, you know, whether these things are true or not. Outside of that, you know, I think the goal of, of me even pursuing this information in the first place is so that we can have a better picture of what's going on, you know, and then be able to, with that picture, do something about it. And I think what's so cool about where you're at is you're kind of already a step there, like doing something about it. And I think a lot of people need to balance that better because there could be this situation and I don't think we're here on the my family think I'm crazy podcast doing that but there could be a situation where you overload yourself with this information and then you you lose that mobility that freedom you know that open-mindedness and yeah maybe being you know that free you're not able to resort you know every <laughs> you you know every freaking guy who was ever enlisted in skull and bones like off the top of your head because there's a lot of names i've been doing the research and there's a, a lot of names but you know like i said there's this, there's a certain like science to what's it, interdisciplinary studies right mm -hmm. and i think that's something that naturally in the position that you're in i'm in anyone else who has a sizable podcast that talks to brilliant people uh, you start to become a sort of interdisciplinary studies per major person you know you start to get a knack for it and sort of synthesizing these things that, together so if there's any like through line from the expanding reality podcast have you defined it yet do you have a vision of what it may become like what what has the through line been so far? Because I know there was a transition point where like you, you had a sort of an old version of the show and then you transitioned to a sort of new version of the show. And that comes with a lot of, you know, challenges and, and you've done it well. I mean, top 1%, your podcast is is top ranked. It's on fire. So, you know, what's the what's the sort of thesis statement that's building here? It's really just that your reality is not as solid as you think it is or been told it is. I will put it that way. And really to trust your observations and discernment about this place and the way that you are engaging with it. And really one of the main themes is uh, empowerment. That's what it's all about. It's about talking about these things in a way that even and back to what we talked about, about experiencers specifically, if they've had these problems or these experiences and they've had the challenge of integrating them in a way that's healthy and not feeling alone or mocked or ridiculed, then maybe there's some open mindedness and it changes the energy for that individual, even down to that level. Like if we're doing all of this for that, that's fine, because on a quantum level, if we're all one, that one person changing and healing changes everything. And I think this is what's going on right now is this awakening. And so we support that. We support anyone's 
elation into exploring the nature of themselves and reality more. And that's what my show's about. And anyone who's interested in that has a home there. And that's that's the way it is. Now, as far as the where it goes next, I have no idea. The show has changed 132 times. That's how many episodes I've put out. And so with that, each time it grows, it changes, I change. The guests change, the direction changes. I'll focus on, you know, we we get like this. You get batches of spirituality, batches of UFOs, and then you, you know, kind of shift. And then you've got, you know, you know, Dr. Irvin Laszlo comes on, you know, and and talks about something. And then you have Amy, Amy Baleron talking about the Akashic Record. So you've got just such a wide variety of options here. And I think that that's one thing that I really want people to see this place as. It's not this either or. It's not this, this and that. It's options. That's it. Just like contributing the energy of disdain and discomfort and toxicity into a system that would love for you to do that. Gordon White's uh, famous quote I talk about all the time is your reaction to the crisis is part of the crisis. And I think that that not only is what presents itself physically, but I think Gordon was going deeper with that. I took it deeper that your energy is counted on and being contributed into the system by being upset that it's so obvious because it's obvious to y'all. I've kind of looked at this in the in different realities, like the 3D, 4D, 5D, I don't think that this is something that's like a portal is going to open. I've had guests that think that. I don't resonate with that, that are just going to open and people are going to step through. I really think the core of all of this is vibration, man. And we're all vibrating at different frequencies. There are some in resonant harmony with others, and there are some in absolute dissonance. And that dissonance is what creates change. That's what inspires growth. But also, it's heavy, man. And like I said, the people uh, that I'm proud to share Alt Media United with and share anytime I'm invited to Union, these folks that do this job, Jason, like I said, I just can't name everybody. Everybody that does that job, it's the hardest job in the world because you are taking all of the arrows and getting the information out so that people are aware of their options. And then uh, that's where, you know, kind of we come in where we go, hey, you know, yes, that is an option. If you'd like to go back there and participate in that and be <clears throat> that controlled, that contrived, that lied to, then that's always an option. And no one's going to judge you for it. You're going to have your tribe. You're going to fit in just fine. But if there's ever anything in you that says, man, maybe just something different and maybe things aren't 100% like I was told, then you know, there are other options out there for you is what I'm trying to say. Bravo. Well said. I think that's absolutely, you know, <laughs> the best we could, I mean, describe expanding reality here in this moment. Cause I mean, Hey, when the next episode comes out, it might be different. So yeah, I have no idea. Boom. I love be it. Fine. No. And, and again, you know, we don't need to, we don't need to compliment and, and belabor the point, but it is, you're doing a great job, brother. And, and I appreciate you being here. And I think, you know, there is something going on with, the population at large and i know you see this the reception people reach out to this show and they say hey my family thinks i'm crazy too yes. you know yeah. and and i think that there's you know something i don't know i mean a lot of people talk about and maybe this is true for you 2012 being this sort of shift and it's interesting how 10 years later you know here we are and we're really dealing with a kind of different scenario altogether. I mean, 2012, yeah, podcasts were around. Nothing like this where 
The interaction was at the level that it is. Oh yeah. Is it you awesome? know, there are mainstream podcasts that get more listeners than the top TV programs, you know, and it, it's, it's a great place to be in. So Brandon Thomas, I appreciate you being here. I got to ask you with all the amazing things you've done, all the, the people you talk to and all the cool things you're doing over there on the Thomas ranch, does your family think you're crazy? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but what's even more crazy is I've gotten so crazy and gotten so well at it that actually now they're the ones that are feeling crazy because of how sane it sounds. And so that's been an interesting perspective. But yes, I have existed in the state of my family thinking I'm crazy my entire life. So it's I'm very well suited for that role. Absolutely. Right on. Well, pride. first of many times on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, I'm sure, but this is his second time on this RSS feed. So if you like Brandon Thomas, definitely go check out that episode we did a while back. And of course, subscribe to Expanding Reality. You can find it on altmediaunited.com. Of course, Brandon has his own website where you can find the video, audio, live streams, all that good stuff. So Again, Brandon, thank you for being here. And to everyone listening, thank you for tuning in and have a great moment wherever you are in the now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. What a great conversation. A little bit of a travel log, a little bit of Brandon's thoughts on UFOs, Brandon's thoughts on consciousness, and on podcasting. You know, these conversations, podcaster to podcaster, peer to peer, sometimes we talk shop, and I know you guys stick around for that, and I appreciate that you do, and so many of you get inspired by that kind of stuff. And, you know, start to take notes. You start to wonder, how, how would I sound if I made a podcast? And I encourage that. I think the more the merrier. Get involved. Get your voice out there. And if you do, hit me up. Let me know. You can be a part of Alt Media United. We've got a bunch of new podcasters that just jumped on board We've got a bunch of veteran podcasters who have just joined forces. So the podcast cooperative is growing and you should know that Brandon Thomas is a force to be reckoned with within the cooperative. He is at the top of the charts, top 1%, doing a lot of big things behind the scenes. I don't know how much I could say because he didn't really talk about this at all at any point during the interview but I would just say check out Cosmic TV because I know Brandon Thomas has been working really hard on some cool stuff over there of course you can stay in touch with everything he's doing through his Alt Media United page or his website expandingrealitypodcast.com big shout out to Brandon and if you want to support the show go over to Patreon where I take these extended outros and I open them up to you I answer emails, comments, Patreon messages, give out spirit animal names. They're doing that all behind the Patreon. I figured it'd be funner that way. We could 
if funner is even a word we can include new topics of interest things that are in my tabs that I've left open research that I don't want to get out to the general public yet because it's going into a secret project that really only the Patreons know about maybe people who have heard me on other shows have some clues about but with that in mind I believe this episode came out on the same day as my appearance with the Grimerica show if all goes well if not it'll be out the following Monday but if you're listening to this the day it comes out on uh, Monday May 2nd then go and check out my appearance on the Grimerica show it was absolutely a true honor to be on a show that I've been a fan of for so many years and I was definitely a little nervous but we got a lot of information out there and I'm really grateful they let me organize my thoughts in that way and the reason I bring that up is because that's kind of similar to what we're doing on the Patreon now I just put a new episode out on the Patreon and the more people that sign up the more episodes I'll do because Really, I only do them when I have some Patreon spirit animal names to give out. I'm sure there'll be other excuses as well, but there's a lot going on on the Patreon. Not just that, we have Illuminati Confirms bonus show. That's right, for every episode of Illuminati Confirmed, we do a bonus episode, which is equal in length. It's like a, some of them are two hours two and a half hours each so if you want to hear Juan, Chris and I joke around, bust each other's balls and get into some deep discussions then uh, sign up on the Patreon you can also support Juan and sign up on his Patreon or you can message Chris on Instagram and tell him that he is late to the game and he needs to make a Patreon, I don't think he has one yet so go encourage them support them as well that's about it for us. You know where to find us. Telegram. We have MyFamilyThinksI'mCrazy.com with all the links. You can get merch there. We have promo code SUMMER. Get $3 off anything in the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy store. We got t-shirts. We got mugs. We got hoodies. Not that you would wear a hoodie in May. It is May. So get yourself a t-shirt using the promo code SUMMER. Got a bunch of really unique designs that you, I guarantee you will not find anything like these shirts anywhere else. No other podcast is putting out merch like this. So check it out. MyFamilyThinksI'mCrazy.com has all the links. You send us a one-time donation, help me fix my car, help us get back on the road, go on some adventures. Gotta meet up with Michael Wan. Gotta meet up with Ross Ben. We got to finally unite with Ron from New England and all the other homies up north, Andy Rouse, Jay Hennahan, all the rest, and all the Patreon supporters as well. We're going to do another meetup soon, maybe even this month. So stay tuned. And uh, that does it for today's episode. Thank you for being here. And enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now.